one of the last times that I had seen Derek, we both had these Lego keychains on our, on our keys and <laughs> these characters. And he's like, Hey man, he's like, we should switch out the legs. So I have his set of Lego oh, legs. And he's, he had mine. Oh, that is so sweet. Yeah. So anytime. Oh um, man, that got me. Yeah. yeah anytime I throw my keys on the desk. Yeah. I see it. Yeah. You're here. Yeah. yeah. Oh man. Okay. That is, oh man, that really got me. <laughs> but Hey family, I'm Coach Steph. And I'm Dr. Angela. We are the Grief Sisters. Together, we lost four family members in a seven week time period. We know suffering. You may feel lonely, but you are not alone. Let's jump in. Hey family, we are so thankful that you are here today. And I am here with Dr. Angela, of course, and our guest, Scotty Parker. Hey family, we are super thankful that my new friend, Scotty Parker, is with us today. Scotty, before I formally introduce you, what's up? How are you doing today? I'm doing good. How are you? Yeah, you know, I'm feeling, I'm feeling really good today. I am moving in a couple of weeks, which always comes with a little bit of stress, but I'm also feeling like on top of everything. So that feels good. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, absolutely. No, it's mm -hmm. a great feeling. Love that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So do you want to tell everybody how we met? I feel like it's a fun social media story. Yeah, it definitely is. I don't know how much of the detail you want me to get into early on, because otherwise it's going right. to get uh, pretty, oh, pretty, no, pretty, no, pretty not quick. The, not the gritty details. Just So yeah, I'll, kinda, I'll do the, a quick overview. Um, so I, I heard you on the, the Yale podcast, Up for mm -hmm. the Life of the World, and it really resonated with me. I listened to it a few times. I shared it with a bunch of friends. And impacted me a lot. I was like, this mm. is, this is incredible. And then I went through some things that we'll get into a little bit later yeah. that were really hard and I didn't really know what to do. I was kind of at a loss. And so I just reached out to you on social media. I just sent you a message and I didn't really honestly expect to hear back, but I just needed to reach out to someone it felt like, and you hit me back yeah. and then we kind of, we kind of connected that way. And then last year I was in Dallas. It's funny because I'm actually in Dallas right now. And I was, and I was like, Hey, you know, maybe she wants to meet up for coffee. I knew you were in Texas at the time and my Texas geography is pretty bad. So I think you were in, in, in Waco and I was like, ah, Waco is like a suburb of Dallas, you know, <laughs> went through for coffee. I found out later, it's like at least probably an hour and a half drive. So yeah. we, so I just invited you out, you came out for coffee and then caught the game that night. And so that's how we kind of. Yeah, that's how we met, had some awesome conversations yep. and stayed in touch. And then you actually came out to Atlanta this last August and did a, a little workshop, a retreat at my house, which was extremely powerful and an incredible time. So those are kind oh, of the, the highlights. Yeah, those are the good details, the highlight reel. And <laughs> right, just, right. Yeah, for anyone who's listening, if there are people online that, you know, you never know. And I've heard this like from different people too, like who you'll reach out to and who you'll connect with and resonate with over particular things that you've gone through. And especially I think grief is one of those things that people, when you go through something hard and especially like a particular something, like finding other people who've gone through that particular something can be really helpful for moving forward together went from a, like a social media connection to an in-person coffee to like a retreat with a bunch of people who were navigating 
particular things in their life. Beautiful things can happen when you reach out to people online. With that, I want to introduce you in in a little bit more formal way, just so that listeners can know exactly who you are. You wanted me to quote someone. And of course, like you, I had to ask you, like, how do I pronounce this person's last name? <laughs> Paulo Coelho. Does that sound yeah. right? Yeah, sounds right. Yeah. He said that a person can be from many places. And that's how you feel, Scotty. You said, Scotty has lived in a lot of places. And those places and people have significantly shaped who he is. He grew up in the Midwest. Shout out to Wisconsin and Minnesota. He lived all over the West Coast. Southern California, my personal favorite place on the planet, Portland and Seattle, and he worked freelance in New York City and Florida. He's lived in Atlanta for the last eight and a half years. Scotty has worked for not one, but three professional sports teams, the Portland Trailblazers, the Seattle Seahawks, and he currently works for the NBA team, the Atlanta Hawks. Scotty has been married to the, and I can say it because I know her, the beautiful and kind Natalia for 12 years, and they have three adorable kids, Olive, who's nine, Atticus, who's eight, and Phoenix is six. Scotty is a follower of Jesus who can't quite seem to keep up most of the time, to borrow Bono's phrase. His aim is to live and breathe in the unforced rhythms of grace. How beautiful is that? He is passionate about movement and physical activity as a key to living a flourishing, vital life. He also wants people to think and live out of a deep sense of meaning. Scotty exists at the crossroads of movement and meaning and hopes to get others there as well. Scotty, it is an honor to have you with us today. Thank you so much. I'm super excited to be here. Yeah, it means a lot that you asked me to be on. So happy to be here chatting with you both today. (laughs) Well, I have two immediate questions, and one is, why are you in Dallas today? And if people are listening closely to your bio, they can probably figure it out. (laughs) But two, how did it feel to get a Super Bowl ring in 2013 when you were with the Seahawks? Oh, wow. Yeah, that's crazy. First about Dallas, Atlanta Hawks, we play the Mavericks tonight. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I got here last night, had a, a nice dinner and then kind of just game day prep, had a little yeah. bit of time in the afternoon and then we'll play the Mavericks and, and get out of here back to Atlanta after the game. Um, and then in Super Bowl, yeah, I was like, it's kind of the right place at the right time. Mm. I, was, I was working for the Seattle Seahawks and a extremely talented roster. Like they were peaking right at the right time when I was there. And it was, it was incredible. It was a hell of a ride for sure. There's so much time and effort and energy, especially working in football that goes into every game every week. And then, you know, when you keep climbing and winning and, uh, yeah, it was an unreal experience. My goodness. I I, I can't even imagine. Yeah. Yeah, Being on the field. I don't know how many, I don't know how many football fans there are out there, but uh, NFC championship, we played the uh, San Francisco 49ers up in Seattle. And the game was back and forth the whole game. I was so nervous. You just know what's on the line. It's like, oh, wow, Like we win this. We're going yeah. to the Super Bowl. Wow. The Super Bowl that year was in New York. So we would be going to New York for a week. And I don't know if anyone remembers, but that was the uh, the last play where Richard Sherman tipped the pass and it was intercepted. And oh. there was that post-game interview he had with Aaron Andrews that like went viral. Yep. So yeah, that was that was the year I was there and went to the Super Bowl, spent a week in New York prepping for the game. And then... It was funny because the game wasn't even close. We were playing the Broncos 
and they were had like one of the best offenses of all time, but our defense was elite. And we ended up winning the game, I think 43 to eight, like the whole, it was a blowout the entire game. So <laughs> yeah, it was incredible. Came back to the hotel, like crazy yeah. Super Bowl party. Everyone's passing around the trophy, taking pictures. Oh, uh, I got, a, I got a Super cool. Bowl ring. The parade in Seattle two days later was crazy. I think there was like a million people in downtown Seattle. So uh, cool. It took like three hours, but it was an un unbelievable experience. And, you know, definitely the highlight of my working career. <laughs> hey, Dr. Angela, can we just talk about football the whole time? <laughs> right. Steph even... is a huge Vikings fan. And so she would be happy to. Oh, my gosh. I'm like, a huge Viking I was, fan. I, so I was, Scotty, I was going to ask you very delicately. Okay. You, you know, you've worked for these teams, but you're from <laughs> Minnesota. We're over here in New Mexico, Minnesota Vikings fans. And I don't know when this podcast will air exactly, but we just had a heartbreak on Saturday or Sunday, rather. And But the Vikings are awesome this year and doing great. So I'm glad to hear you're a Vikings fan. Yeah, I'm a diehard Vikings fan. Obviously, <laughs> I cheered for Seattle when I was there. But now, there I don't think anyone played back when I was there still playing. So I kind of getting back to my my loyalty of my growing up years, which is the Vikings. <laughs> but yeah, I'm hurting. That was a really tough loss. It was. Um, it was. It was awful. And then everyone that I work with knows I'm a Vikings fan, so they've been sure to uh, give me a really hard time. Right. Oh, right. Right. <laughs> and I'm a Vikings fan by default because my husband, who oddly enough also grew up in New Mexico, he was a Vikings fan from way back in the day with the purple people eaters and I, just really funny quick story him and I went on a blind date is how we met and I actually had been divorced and had a son who was about two years old at the time and my son was watching this video like over and over and over again about the Super Bowl he was just attached to this VHS video I think it was from like Sports <laughs> Illustrated or something and it, I knew all about the Vikings and how they lost four times and and never won the Super Bowl. So when I went on this blind date with my husband and I happened to know about the Vikings, he was like, I'll marry you today. Like, I can't believe you. That know. is awesome. I love that. What a I story. didn't know that so Yeah. Yeah. It, it was really. And I. the only reason I knew about it was because my son, Mason, who we often talk about lovingly in this podcast, he was like literally watched that video a million times. And mm -hmm. I knew. Every Super Bowl, every I can still hear the voice of the guy that was comment, commentating that video. That's you know your your work that you do, Scotty. It, it's so interesting, and you know you don't know that much about me, but I've been a health and life coach for well over a decade in the health industry for dare I say three decades. And and what you do is hard, really motivating people to move, to breathe, and sometimes I feel like people who we help, whether they're professional, whether they're a stay-at-home mom, whether they're a nurse or a doctor, whoever we're helping, they feel like it's a part-time job just to stay healthy. Mm -hmm. And yep. we would love to hear or just have you say more about what, what you call like existing at the crossroads of movement and meaning. And what's your perspective on that? Yeah. So it's actually funny because Angela actually helped me make sense of this, fleshing out this intersection where I feel like I'm trying to camp out and build a home in right now. <laughs> and it's basically because the two things in my life that I've always been passionate about first is movement, physical activity. That's something that's very concrete, very workable in daily life. And then the other thing is, you know, I've just been someone who's honestly been tortured by these existentially charged questions my entire life. You know, even when I was in middle school, high school, you know, I would ask myself or 
be kept up at night wondering like, hey, what's the meaning of life? What does this all mean? Who am I? What does it mean to be human? Like, what does it mean to live a good life? Mm -hmm. And and it's just, they were always with me. And, you know, th those are very theoretical, abstract, existential questions. So I was like, how do I make sense of this mm -hmm. duality I feel in myself of like, these are the things that, you know, I care most about. How do I hold those two things together? And I can't remember, Angela, when we were talking, but I was, I was just kind of free flowing and I was like, should I get a, should I go to school and get philosophy and then a PhD and go that route? And I always have these crazy ideas of, you know, what I should do next or if I should pursue something else. And you were kind of like, you're at, I think you said to me, you're just at a very unique position with what you care about and the work mm -hmm. that you do. So like, just be there and work from that place. Yeah. It was just a light bulb went on for me. And I was like, oh, like, I don't know why that thought never occurred to me. So I'm, I'm trying to lean into that right now. And, and kind of where I've landed with that, at least currently is I want people to, I, so everybody lives out the deep questions of life. I don't think a lot of people think about them. And I think it would probably change the way a lot of us lived if we thought about those deep questions and then work, worked out of there and how we lived. But the way I have it is like, you know, you have a, like everyone who's listening, both of you, you have a gift to give away to the world. And I think there's a lot of meaning in that for you, for me, for all of us to give that gift to the world and how I see myself is someone who can help you give that gift as long as possible. So that's the intersection I've kind of found is I want through physical activity and sustained athleticism, healthy longevity to help people, give people the tools to live out, you know, the meaning that they have in their lives. Mm. I really saw that in you last, last August because the retreat that you hosted was for a lot of the people in your life that you love the most. And really you brought people together around you know, cultivating conversation around meaning and purpose and sort of the deepest questions of life. And you helped a lot of people to have breakthroughs, to feel more connected to others, to just feel seen and heard with each other, especially after a long stint of not being able to be in person with other people. And so I saw you doing it and I was just like, oh man, I can imagine him bringing people together around meaning and then integrating a lot of his work in therapy, helping people recover from injuries as a trainer, you know, as a, um, uh, a sports therapist, all the different words I could use to describe what mm -hmm. you do with movement. Yeah. I could see you integrating those things in in-person retreats and stuff like that, which I think you're thinking about doing, right? You're thinking about leaving retreats at some point. Yeah, I definitely do. And that's actually yeah. one of the things that in during the basketball season, I'm just too busy to do it. But that's actually one of my goals that I have for myself this offseason is to lead at least one weekend workshop, call it, call it meaning and movement. Um, mm -hmm. And we talk about those things or talk about the deep things, but then also like giving tools from a physical activity movement perspective for people to maintain health throughout their their lifespan. Yeah. Oh, incredible. Well, if you, you might want to just be starting out those retreats with just people that you know, but if you ever want to have a, large, a larger group of people join you, definitely send me a text or whatever after this about how people can connect with you about joining your retreats because we could put that into the show notes. But otherwise, okay. I'm sure people can just be looking out for the future for Scotty Parker's retreats on movement and meaning. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. No, absolutely. And, well, thank you. I yeah. appreciate it. Yeah, I think we wanted to start with just a couple of questions that, that are related to your background in movement. 
And then we'll move more into the meaning portion. <clears throat> so first, I think for me, I'm really, and I'm, you know, and obviously the movement piece is, is related to mental health. And I think you're seeing that more and more in your own life and then in the work that you do. And I think that's especially evident in injuries that people have. Mm -hmm. Your work, as I understand it with the Hawks, focuses pr primarily on preventing and handling injuries. Yes. Right. Okay. So anyone who regularly works out or if you participate in a sport or you've gotten older, I mean, you can resonate with the grief that follows a difficult injury. I really think it's interesting how recovery from an injury is not just physical, but mental. Could you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. I can talk about it a little bit from, you know, my work perspective and then obviously from kind of my personal experience with injury. But from a work perspective is, you know, so many people like they go through injuries and, and it can be pro athletes. That's who I work with. But a lot of times there's so many people who are relying on them and they have so many things going on in their lives outside of what you see on a daily basis. And, you know, if they're supporting a family or if they're thinking about, hey, like, how long am I able to do this? This is my livelihood. And is this injury going to end my job? And where does that leave me? And then there's also the very specific thing about the fear of pain and avoidance. A pain scientist in Australia, his name's uh, Loramir Mosley, and he talks about just pain perception. So he tells a story. He grew up in the bush in Australia. He tells a story. He's running through the woods one day, and he feels a little scratch on the side of his leg from a twig or a thorn and doesn't think anything of it. And then he takes another, you know, 20, 30 steps and he just collapses and he's writhing in pain. And what happened is he actually got bit by a super venomous snake, yes. uh, but he didn't, per he didn't perceive what was happening. So at first, like it didn't, it didn't really bother him. So he, he healed, he was okay. A few months later, he's running through the woods again. And then he feels that same sensation. And automatically his brain connects with that moment when he was bit by a snake and he just drops immediately to the ground, writhing in pain. And this time it was just a small little twig and he had a small scratch on his leg. But it's just a powerful story about how humans can experience pain and yeah. the threat of pain. And so that's the thing is if someone's been injured and they've gone through pain, even the anticipation or the fear that something might hurt because of what you've been through just can create this very difficult mental reaction, emotional, re emotional reaction, but also like physical symptoms just at the anticipate mm. something being painful. So, you know, that's something that, you know, we work through is like, we'll, we'll build you back up physically, but you also have to attack the mental piece of, I need you to believe that you're okay. I need you to believe that you're strong. I need you to believe that you're capable and that you're resilient and that this isn't going to happen again. Or if it does that, you have the capacity and the ability to get through it. Oh, wow. I feel like there's so many parallels there to, you know, other forms of grief, like not just grief after injury, but just other forms of grief that we experience in our lives too. the sort of PTSD that follows that. What do you do to help people mentally move on after an injury? So I think the biggest thing, I try to get people to prove things to themselves. And obviously there's different kinds of injuries. You know, there's something that's going to be mild. It might be a few days to a week or a couple of weeks. But usually when we start to see this is like longer term injuries or post-surgery, if there's a setback or, or things aren't going well, or they've had, you know, multiple surgeries and had bad rehab experiences. And that's not just for athletes. Like that's 
Yeah. You know, everyone across the board, anyone who's had surgery or had to do physical therapy is you start to attach your current moment and what you're going through to what happened in the past. So what I try to do for some people who've had a bad experience, I try to untangle those things. One of the things that's actually really easy to do is like, if you just have a really good conversation and you ask good questions and you listen to people's story, I heard a TED talk this summer and it was a physician. He said, in average, if you go to the doctor's office in the U.S., that when they start taking your history, they're going to interrupt you in about 11 seconds and kind of take over from there. So there's some people that have mentored me who they'll do when they do evals with people for the first time, if they're coming back from injury, they'll spend two hours just asking questions, writing notes, getting to like some of those deeper questions, deeper fears. Um, and, and you unpack those things. And when you understand someone's story, then you have a foundation to work off of. So I think mm -hmm. understanding people, understanding their story, what they've been through, what they're afraid to go through again, and yes. then, and then slowly exposing them to higher and higher intensities, workloads in a way that's safe so that they can eventually prove it to themselves. Like, Hey, I can do this. Hey, that doesn't hurt. Hey, I might be okay. And just to start believing again that, Hey, this time it's not always going to be like this. Gosh, that's such good advice because I think that for people out there listening, like whether you've gone through grief or trauma and we hold things in our bodies. And yeah. There's a quote out there that says you can't really think your way through grief. You have to mm. physically move yourself through grief. And to be able to kind of tell people out there when you're looking for a doctor, although obviously, you know, we can't give diagnoses or or any particular advice around that. But what we can say is find a doctor who's willing to spend that time yep. mm -hmm, and yeah. really treat the whole body mind, mm -hmm. body, spirit. And it yeah. may take a doctor plus a therapist plus a strategic team of people to really help you sort out where all of this hurt is coming from. Because for me, for example, as I've gotten older, I'm 52. I think I'm 52, right, Angela? 52. Yeah. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I feel like I've kind of dealt with a new injury or ailment and recently discovered that I have arthritis in my lower spine. But also, I think some of my symptoms or aches and pains do come from maybe unhealed trauma or mm -hmm. I was having heart palpitations six years ago and when my son passed away. And, mm. and it just those physical symptoms, as I said, just really somebody needs to know about it and help you solve it. Yeah, absolutely. I think, Scotty, one of the things I had a question for you about was chronic pain. I think that mm -hmm. that is something that you experience personally and professionally. Do you have any practical advice for people who are dealing with chronic pain? Yeah, absolutely. I think I went through it myself. And so I have just the utmost compassion for mm -hmm. anyone who's dealing with it. But it was, it started in fall of 2015, right when the NBA season started, I woke up one morning in Miami and my low back was like killing me. It felt different than, oh, like my back's a little stiff. Like I've been on an airplane and a bus and sleeping in different hotel beds and whatever. The alarm bell started going off. Like something's not quite right here. And then, you know, it just, and, but in our business, it's kind of like, you know, the show goes on, so you keep moving. So I was doing some rehab and in my position, I have access to a lot of really good rehab people and therapists. And I was talking to everyone I knew. And as the months went on, the pain, the back pain just got worse and worse and worse. And so then I started doubting myself. I was just like, maybe I'm not good at my job. Like maybe I can't mm. even do this because I can't, I can't fix myself. 
And I think the thing with chronic pain is it just slows time down. You feel pain and discomfort every second of every day. Every day is so slow. It leads to a lot of intrusive, at least for me, it did. It leads to a lot of intrusive thinking, at least a lot of thoughts of despair, of hopelessness, of, hey, I'm, I don't know if I'm ever going to be right again. Like, I don't know if I'm ever going to experience life without pain. And it's a super scary thought when you get to that place. Uh. Yeah, And I tried everything. Like I was working with some of the leading back people, orthopedics people in Atlanta. And, you know, I did an injection into my SI joint and that did nothing. I got two epidurals that did nothing. Then over the course of like nine months, it just progressively got worse and worse and worse. In the last three months, I couldn't do anything. I could barely get out of bed, but I was, I was going to work every day. And that's kind of the you know, the curse of working in pro sports at times is just like, there's another game, there's another practice, there's another flight somewhere. You just got to keep moving. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And, but by the last three, probably the last three months, I couldn't tie my shoes. So Natalia was tying oh, my shoes, oh, like wow. I couldn't bend over. If I stood for more than 15 minutes, I would have just searing pain in my back, down my leg. My whole leg would go numb. My foot would go numb. About three. I ended up, So I ended up having surgery end of May, 2016. And the three weeks leading up to that, I would, I would get nauseous. Like I would about to want to throw up. If I stood up for 10 minutes, I couldn't get comfortable laying down. It was, it was hell. It was so bad. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I had back surgery in May of 2016. And then that, that was a, a wake up call for me just to change a lot of the ways that I had been living and how do I take care of myself with my yeah. job and in this environment. Mm-hmm. And one of my mentors who's actually out in LA. He talks about the gift of injury and I, I didn't have language for it at the time, but he's told me this recently. And that's, that's what that back injury was for me is it was a gift because it created a wake up call that I needed to change a lot of my habits and the way that I was living. But it was after that time that I got really, really serious about movement, about proper movement patterns, training in an intelligent way, training the right way, recovery, sleep. That's what that was. A, it was a wake up call for me, but it changed my entire lifestyle since that time. And thankfully, I haven't had every once in a while I get like a, a tiny little flare up here and there. Mm-hmm. But overall, like I feel great and, you know, I'm in the best shape condition of my life, you know, almost seven years removed from having back surgery. So mm-hmm. that's so interesting, Scotty, as you're talking, obviously, you're talking about chronic pain and wow, to not even be able to tie your shoes. I just, I can't imagine. I have arthritis pain, but thank goodness I'm not that deep into my chronic pain. But you said, which I think resonates with people who are even in grief too, is that it slows down time. Mm -hmm. You said having chronic pain or having an injury, you do in so many, on one hand, like time stands still for you, but then you see your life is still like everything else is moving around and you're kind of, how can you all just be going through life? Look at me, look at what I'm dealing with. And so you're kind of in that stuck space. I think there's so many similarities just in your vocabulary, even for someone who is grieving could feel that exact Mm -hmm. same way. If you have experienced loss of any kind, you may be feeling overwhelmed and stuck. We get it. That's why we created RISE. It is an engaging five-step journey that you can take at your own pace that will help you get on the road toward healing. It comes with videos and a companion guide and easy actions you can try each day to help you to find relief. 
To join the RISE journey, head to thegriefsisters.com or check out the link in today's show notes. Yeah, no, I think there's an absolute parallel there too. And I would say for if anyone's going through chronic pain and obviously every situation is different. So just want to be super delicate and understanding of that. But I think the biggest thing is just to, to know that hope is real and you're not always going to feel like this. Obviously, I think there's some extreme cases, outlier cases where unfortunately people do have lifetime chronic pain. But I think for especially like musculoskeletal stuff, injury pain, there is a light at the end of the tunnel, but you need to get good help. You need to get a good doctor who can give you a good diagnosis. You need a really robust treatment and rehab plan, but it's possible. Like it can happen. It does happen all the time. So if you're feeling stuck, know that like hope is out there. Like your body, your body is amazing in ways that it can heal. And sometimes you just have to put it on the right. So, so don't give up, hang in there. And (laughs) you're not always going to feel like this. Yeah. And I, I feel like that just applies to every type of grief. And I think chronic pain is a type of grief, you know, Mm -hmm. it is this very specific, it's the grief of not being able, the body not working in the ways that it used to, or the ways that you want it to. It's the grief of dealing with, I mean, every single day, it being at the forefront of your mind, like feeling terrible. I mean, when Mm -hmm. everything that you do in your life is seen through a lens of feeling terrible, it's, then it makes life not so great. Life feels pretty terrible. Mm-hmm. It's, you were, you're like wearing glasses all the time of like, I'm in pain. Yeah. You know? And so it's very real grief. And I really appreciate you highlighting that today and helping people think through it. And one of the things that I'm hearing in your story, not only today, but also in our friendship, you know, is that you are the kind of person that something happens in your life and you seek the answers and you yeah. seek the truth and you seek like, what can I do? And, you know, Willie Jennings at Yale Divinity School, one of my favorite professors and people, he says, I didn't have him as a professor, but just he, (laughs) but he's a colleague and a friend. He says, we can make our pain productive without Mm -hmm. glorifying or justifying suffering. Mm -hmm. I think that you pointing to just the gift of injury, you know, in that conversation that you had with them, and then just uh, the retreat that you had, and then the, like you going to the For the Life of the World podcast, like at certain times in your life, like you reaching out. I feel like that that's an inspiration to people is if you're going through something today, whether it's chronic pain, you're trying to recover from an injury or another type of grief, one of the things you do have control over is trying to understand what am I, what am I learning in this time? What can mm-hmm. I learn? Like what, in what ways can this, can I allow this to shift my perspective? When I say in the gravity of joy, like, uh, I don't necessarily agree with Nietzsche who says that what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. I think it can, but it doesn't always. I, I tend to be more in line with the idea that like what doesn't kill you can make you gentler if you allow mm, it. To. <laughs> that's so good. If you allow it to. But I know you read the gravity of joy. That's one of the things that we connected on. And, you know, it addresses some really difficult topics. I tell people, you know, it's a book about joy, but it reads like a psalm. So like, don't quit in the middle because you're going to walk away pretty sad. (laughs) Right. Because I'm very honest and raw about my own grief journey. Some of the things that it talks about are addiction, loss of a loved one to suicide, sudden loss, mental distress, you read it and you, I think that you felt like it resonated with some, some things that you've gone through in your life. 
Can you say more about the grief that you faced in your life? What resonated with you? Yeah, absolutely. So actually, I brought the book with Dallas or to Dallas with me because honestly, even if I weren't doing this podcast, anytime I tell this story, like I have to read this because it's so intertwined with kind of what I'm about to dive into. Mm -hmm. So I was, this was August of 21 and I was on a flight. My kids were staying up with my parents up in Wisconsin and Natalia and I were going to fly back to Atlanta and spend a couple of days together without kids. And so I'm finishing, I'm reading The Gravity of Joy on the flight. We're landing in 15 minutes. And this is on page 199. It's the last page of the book. And you write, do not be afraid to tell someone that their life is worth living. Do not imagine that you have something more important to do than this. Do not imagine that there are more intellectual, deeper tasks. Do it as much as possible. Look people in the eyes and tell them that they matter, that their life is worth living. I'm convinced that this simple but profound act can rescue others. It can even rescue us. So I'm, I'm reading that at the flights descending and I, I highlight the whole thing. And I was like, oh my God, I was like, this is amazing. It, it, that struck like the deepest chord in me. You know, I think that is just so important. We can get caught up, like life moves so fast. It's so busy. There's so much routine. There's so much superficiality. And I think we, out of these deeper waters, I think you hit the nail on the head with that. So I was really, really moved. And then mm-hmm. the plane, the plane lands and we're, we got our bags. And as we're walking to our car, hang on, give me a second. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we're walking to the car and Natalia's mom calls and said that her cousin Derek, who was super close with us, had died by suicide. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So, I mean, reading that and then came that news 15 minutes, uh, 30 minutes later was, I'll, ne- I'll never forget it. Like that is imprinted in my mind for as long as I live going through that. It's just, it's too overwhelming in the moment. Like the only thing that I can tell you is that like it was, everything was numb. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, I think, I don't know. <laughs> the science behind it, but I think your your body almost uses that as a defense mechanism because I just could not handle the information that I was getting. My mm-hmm. whole body just like shut down. Yeah, it was heartbreaking. It was awful. The telling yeah, I yeah we went we went home and just like laid in bed and were crying and like you just don't want to do anything. And that night we we just got to get out of the house. So we went to one of our favorite restaurants in Atlanta and we just sat at the bar and drank margaritas and ate chips and salsa. And we're just like crying the whole time. And I'm sure people are looking at us like, oh my gosh, like they must be breaking up or something because we're sitting there crying, not talking like this is the end of uh, something. Right. Yeah. I, I, I didn't know what to do. Mm-hmm. It, it's just hard to keep moving. Dr. Angel and I, we, we, we just we sort of have phases that we talk about in, in grief and, and we call that one phase one shock. There's, yeah. there's just no other way to put it. We feel you, we're here with you. We, we can mm-hmm. tell your, the emotion that comes from it. And I, I think it's important for, for us to just hold space and be good listeners because um, 
I believe that everything happens for a reason as far as like, as far as that book, you know, prepared you for what you are about to hear that God placed this thing in front of you. I could do a whole episode on what I found out God placed in front of me before Angela and I went through losing four family members in a short time. Mm-hmm. And for you to just acknowledge that and to, to carry Angela's book that around, that's really cool too. So cool. Yeah. Well, just for, I think he just, I don't think he takes it with him every day. No, no. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah. No, I, I knew I needed to tell no, that. I no, can't tell I, it without I that. Just, yeah. yeah, I know. But that would be really cool. He's got he's me. He's sleeping sleep sure. under his pillow. I don't think doing that. <laughs> I thought he slept with it under his pillow. <laughs> right. <laughs> if you were a really good friend. Um, right. Yeah. No, I I just deeply appreciate you with such vulnerability taking us back to that very, very difficult moment in your life. And as you know, I know about that kind of moment. You know, every every death by suicide is a different kind of thing because every person is different our relationships with people are different but at the same time like anyone who's known someone who died by suicide I think I say in the gravity joy like it's a punch in the gut (laughs) it's literally like you it's like and you're like you said your mind cannot compute you're standing there like this is not that's not possible this didn't there's no way there's there's never been anything in my life that I've ever had more of a visceral reaction to of like no and it was yeah, just like yeah. my mind could not accept it as a reality. I also resonate with your part about going to the restaurant. Like after all the griefs, like like different like deaths in those few weeks, like I remember just going to restaurant and just like crying through the whole meal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's something about death by suicide or like death that's really sudden and shocking that just it's like the tears are like it just they just don't stop and there's nothing you can do it's like you're typing or walking or reading or trying to sleep or eating or whatever you're doing you're and I'm just crying I'm just sitting here crying because that's all I can do (laughs) yeah no absolutely and yeah and I I guess going back to the beginning of our conversation so that that was why I had reached out to you because I had heard your podcast so I, I knew of the story from the podcast I listened to it several times but I had finished your book that day and so then we make it through that day. And then she, he was living in Minneapolis. We just landed in Atlanta. So I was like, all right, we, get, we have to go back. So it was that, I think it was that following day um, that I hit you up on Instagram and just kind of let you know what was going on because I knew that you had gone through it. Mm-hmm. Even though I didn't know you at the time, like I just knew that you would understand. So I, I hit up you. And then I hit up one of my really good friends who lives in LA who had lost their cousin to suicide as well. Because mm-hmm. I was like, these are the two people who I know of who can, they know exactly what I'm going through right now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's something about just being able to have a conversation, whether it's online, on the phone, in person with somebody who gets what you're feeling. There's something yeah. really helpful about that. And that's why reaching out can be so powerful. Mm-hmm. And for those who are listening, I really encourage you, if you have a particular kind of grief, chronic pain, a recent injury, loss of a loved one to suicide, something else that we talk about on this podcast, maybe it's time to reach out on Instagram, on Facebook, or another sort of social media platform, or make a call, send a text, like, mm-hmm. hey, I would like to just tell my story, say what happened and have someone who knows that I'm talking about resonate. I mean, there's yep. some Facebook groups that are dedicated 
to particular kinds of grief and loss and stuff like that. And but it takes courage. It takes like reaching out. And and so I'm just really grateful to you that you did that because it also then helped me and helped my life. And that's the thing mm-hmm. is that sometimes we reach out and we think it's just about us. But a lot of times that reaching out can help someone else as well. Mm-hmm. There's like mm-hmm. power in that relational connection over a similar grief. In your own life, you talked about in middle school, if you're willing to touch on this a bit, like you talked about sort of the, the existential questions of life weighing you down from a very young age. And I'm sure that, that, that Derek's death to suicide, I would imagine, I couldn't say I'm sure, I would imagine it brought up some of those existential questions for you, or maybe it helped. So how did it reframe those questions, help to answer those questions, open up new questions? I mean, what was that like for you? Yeah, I think it definitely opens up a lot of those questions. I think for me personally, um, I had, it's popular now, kind of the phrase, but I had like this major deconstruction of faith. Same around chronic back pain time. I had a couple massive declines in mental health from 2016 to 2019. So I've spent a lot of time wrestling with these questions in my own life and the world and my place in it. So I had I had actually thankfully gone through a lot of the uh, wrestling stuff that kept me up at night. Mm-hmm. Uh, the biggest question that always bothered me was the question of suffering. I think that's the hardest one to answer. And I've mm-hmm. come to places that give me a pretty good sense of peace on where I where I'm at with that now. But I think when I was going through it, some of it was definitely practical, but I had to revisit, especially the question of suffering with with Derek's passing and what is what does that look like? I've been super heavily influenced by, by N.T. Wright, but like a lot of things that he'll talk about is kind of the, the reconciliation and the restitution of all things. And, and so that's where I landed and that's where I find rest and I find peace. Derek's gone and it sucks. Yeah. Yeah. But at the, at the same time, I truly have like a faith and a hope in my heart that I'll see him again. Yeah. Yeah. It may be a while, but everything broken is going to be fixed. Um, mm-hmm. That everything's going to be restored. Yeah. You know, in the, in the dark, like existential middle of the night moments, that's where I take my mind and that's where I take myself. Um, oh, I love and that. I, and I don't dismiss it. Yeah, it sucks. And like some days are really hard, but I know that's where I'm heading and I know I'm going to get there. Yeah, Scotty, it's so interesting that you bring this up today because I was working on a talk this morning. I was wanting to integrate it into it. And the Bible verse, all things work together for good, like used to bother me so badly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, very badly. Like it would just be one of those. And I think Steph and I have a little bit, and maybe Steph, we should have a whole episode dedicated to does everything happen for a reason or not? Because our book club read Kate Bowler's book, Everything Happens for a Reason and Other Lies I've Loved. (laughs) Um, She she believes like, you know, that that's unhelpful. And then some people believe that that phrase is super helpful. I think that would be an incredible podcast episode on just is this phrase helpful or not? Why? Right. Um, Yeah, yeah. And I actually have one one of my students as a chaplain, and I love this. He said that we talked in my class about everything happens for a reason because we were looking at Buller's work and he doesn't really feel like that phrase is helpful to him. But he was meeting with someone in the hospital 
and they had just had someone that they loved die and they said everything happens for a reason and he said to them instead of fixing their phrase he said is it helpful to you mm. to think that and they said yes and he said i'm glad that, that brings you comfort and mm -hmm. I feel like that that is that's where I'm kind of standing with the phrase now is like I really want to be more of a curious person when it comes to making sense in the midst of grief. I feel like being curious about like what brings people comfort or not. All that to say, I was teaching Jesus and the meaning of life, you know, a version of life worth living mm -hmm. at Baylor. And one of my students brought up. It's like we were having this moment in class where the suffering question came, the thing that has kept you awake at night for years, this question comes. And basically this student says in class that this terrible thing happened. And then she was able to become open to faith. Uh -huh. And then she asked this, Scotty, she says, and coach staff, she says, this student of mine says, did God need that terrible thing to happen in my life in order for me to find God? Why did it take that for me to find God? And I just like let the question sit right. in the space right. because, okay, I'm not going to answer this right away. I don't want to talk. You know, I'm going to see, does any student want to respond to their peers question and reflection? And one of my students says to her after a couple of minutes of silence, and that's a long time in a classroom. <laughs> sure. One of my students says to her, God was always seeking you. Uh -huh. God has always loved you. Uh -huh. Maybe it was just in that event that you were able to have eyes to see it. Wow. And I was just so thankful for that response. And then it helped me to rethink that all things work together for good. I had a moment after the student said this beautiful response to her where I thought, huh, is it not that everything is a good thing? And that's why it all works for me. But it's like this thing comes together and that thing comes together and this thing comes together and they all work together for the good, mm -hmm. you know? Wow. That's Which I powerful. think is what you're saying. I think that's what you're saying. Right. right. Yeah. yeah. No, absolutely. I, I feel like, Angela, first of all, like, I just have this, I have this big light bulb on, my, <laughs> on the top of my head right now because I think we discover so many things just in these amazing and vulnerable and courageous conversations that mm -hmm. that we have that's exactly right god is always seeking us yeah and yeah. he's he's always there he's always next to us he's always walking with us sometimes he's carrying us and it may be an event like that that has you turn to him yeah and he's there waiting so mm -hmm. it's not that he created these events to say hey she needs a real slap in the face Right. He needs a real slap in the face. It's that he is there when you're ready to meet him because uh, he's already met you. He's already met you there. You just have to meet him back. That's right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Scotty, obviously, as I said, your story and just being so courageous and sharing vulnerability in and of itself, I think is helpful to people out there because that's why we're here to allow people to tell their story and share their heartaches because other people have those too. And sometimes they don't realize that if they just let it out and share it, that it will not only help other people, but it, it will help us by repeating and sharing those stories. And 
Mm-hmm. We would love to hear what are, you know, the most helpful things you've learned on, along that same vein of saying that we, we learn from our pain. What are the most helpful things you've learned or what, what do you think listeners really need to know about that piece of it? Yeah. So I would say I got a lot of unhelpful advice or comments, which I'm sure everyone who's going through grief, whether it's chronic pain or mental health challenges or through my story, you know, death by suicide of a loved one. But for me, everything after when Derek died, the most helpful thing for me, and I don't want to totally project it on everyone, it may not be as helpful for for you, but by far was a, a book called Lament for a Son by mm-hmm. uh, Nicholas, Nicholas I've read Wolfsdorf. I've read it. I've actually read it. Yes. Yeah, that book carried me. And it carried Natalia as well. I think she's read it three or four times. It's short. It's really accessible. So the premise of it is he was actually a professor at, at Yale. And he, his son died in a climbing accident in 1986. And it basically started, it really was just his journal of grief and anger and wrestling with God and asking all the questions that we're afraid to ask and sitting in the silence in those questions. Mm-hmm. Uh, And I cannot tell you how helpful that book was to me. Even giving language to like how you, Mm -hmm. like he has a, I got a couple things. I just want to read real quick. He has a line in there where he says after his son's death, he goes, sorrow is no longer the islands, but the sea. And I was just, it was a light bulb that went on because that's exactly how I felt is you feel like going through life, like grief or sorrow or sadness. It's like, oh, it's an island. You see it pop up here and there. But for the most part, your daily life is pretty good and things are rolling along. And then when something like that happens, it's inverse. You know, like I exist right now in this place of sadness, in this place of sorrow. It is the sea and that is where I am. Mm. Uh, And that Mm -hmm. was an image that was so helpful for me. One of the things that he said in here too, that I can't remember exactly where it was, but the idea of it was, and it made it okay for me to have bad days because he was, he would say, you know what? Sometimes days are just bad, like, and they're not going to get any better. You're going to have a bad day. And all that you need to do on those days is just endure. Mm. And for me, when I was just like, I don't want to feel like this. I want to feel better. I want to get past this. I want to move through this. I hate feeling this way where you're just, you know, overtaken by sadness or grief or loss. And, but what it gave me so much comfort to just take a deep breath and exhale and realize, just be honest, I'm having a bad day. And right now, like this is about, it's just about endurance. I just know I'm going to have to endure today. I know today is not going to get any better. Tomorrow might not be any better, but I'm going to keep moving forward and I'm going to stand up under it and endure. But it was just the honesty of that. There wasn't this like pretense that, okay, you know, if you do these exercises and this meditation and this prayer and read this psalm or whatever, it's going to turn the ship around today. So no, it's not like, mm-hmm. it's not that day. Um, <laughs> that is so, so helpful. And I love like what you're saying is that Books, books can be a really powerful way of feeling seen and connected with in grief. And I mean, that was definitely me. I, I read so many books after, after everything that happened in over the last few years, like memoirs of other people, lament for a son being one of them. It got me through. And I felt mm-hmm. like, oh, wow, I, I'm not, I'm not alone in this. I was inspired on certain days and then I was like, oh, I can just get through this day because of this, you know, thank you so much for, for sharing what that book has meant to you and just highlighting Nicholas Wolstersorf's work. That's incredible. He actually was one of the senior 
board like leaders of the Joy Project at Yale. Oh, and, wow. Uh, okay. Yeah. My former boss and friend now, you know, Miroslav, him and Miroslav are really good friends. So. Oh, that's awesome. And then if there's time, I just want to read this one thing that I yes. have from him because it ties back into the existential question of suffering because he, mm -hmm. he hits that over and over again. And for someone who thinks and approaches my identity in, in the world, it was so helpful. Mm -hmm. uh, so he, he says, we are one in suffering. Some are wealthy, some bright, some athletic, some admired, but we all suffer for we all prize and love. And in this present existence of ours, prizing and loving yield suffering. Love in our world is suffering love. Some do not suffer much though, for they do not love much. Mm -hmm. Suffering is for the loving. If I hadn't loved him, there wouldn't be this agony. This said, Jesus is the command of the Holy One. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. In commanding us to love, God invites us to suffer. Mm. Oh, man. Can you just, it's suffering is for the loving. That's what he said. Yeah. Yep. That's right there. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. I had forgotten that line. What a powerful line. Yeah. Oh. So for me, like that just helped me make sense of you are suffering, you are enduring, but like this is for the loving. I want my life to be one of, of love that is. That is part of it for sure. Beautiful. I'll, uh, a couple other things that helped me, Michael Lewis, who's an author, I heard him on a podcast and he was talking and his daughter died in a car accident when she was 19. This was a couple of years ago. And he gave, I think the best analogy for navigating grief. He said that navigating grief is like going through a jungle, like you're handed a machete and you're told to find the other side. And that was really, really helpful because there's not a clean, clear paved pathway for you to just walk through this thing. It's no, you have a machete and you're hacking your way through and everyone is going to look a little bit different. There's not this, right. the exact same path. It's really hard work. It's disorienting. It's confusing. And I kept, after I heard him say that, I kept going back to that over and over in my mind. This is, this is the jungle and I'm hacking through and that's okay mm. What it is right now. Yeah, absolutely. I have a vision of just being surrounded by it. Yeah. The all people say all the time, and the only way to get through grief is to go through it. You can't go yeah. around it. And when it's when it's all around you, you have no choice but to hack through it. I love that analogy. Yeah. For sure. You said, did you have one more? Yeah, this this is actually a powerful story. And I think, Steph, you're talking about this earlier, just about how God put something in your path. So Derek and I, he lived with us for a brief time in Atlanta. And we used to uh, all talk about, you know, wanting to run like an, one of these ultra marathons together, you know, like these hundred mile races through the Gobi Desert or something. We'd get, we'd hype each other up and get so fired up about it. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, when anytime I see somebody like that, I always think about him. And so it was actually the one year anniversary of his death just this past August. And I was at our training facility early in the morning and I was working out and I was doing some sprints on the treadmill. And this song came on. I had never heard it before, but I swear, I swear to you, God put that in the shuffle for that day. I think the song was called Persevere by the, this band called Gang of Youths. They're out, they're based out of Australia. And it is this extremely real, raw song about loss and doubt and everything. And I heard it when I was on the treadmill on the one year anniversary for the first time. And I just stopped, like I started crying, you know, listening to it. But it was, it was like a, it was like a wink or a hug from heaven where it felt like God was saying, it's like, I see you, like, I'm going to give you this on this day. And so it, it's really small things for me that 
would pop up in my path that became extremely helpful. And it was a well that like, I just kept going back to you. So I probably listened to that song about 500 times <laughs> since then. Yeah. Did you say the line that really, there was a line I remember that you had shared in one of your Instagram posts the, from that song, I think. Yeah. So, the, I think the line, it's so good, but the line that hit me the most is, was, I used to want to be important, but now I just want to be alive and yeah. without fear. Yeah. Oh, so good. I just, oh, I loved when you shared that. And um, for anyone listening, you can follow at Scotty Goodness on, it's S-C-O-T-T-I-E, Goodness, G-O-O-D-N-E-S, uh, N-E-S-S, excuse me, on Instagram and yep. get all kinds of amazing. He gives just thoughts about movement and meaning all the time. And it's so good. I love it. I love following you on Instagram and getting your reflections on life and everything in between. And that is just such a beautiful quote to end our time together with. I, I want to, though, before we, we close out, we always ask our guest the question, which is, how has joy found you recently? Yeah, I love this question. And one of the things I think you talked about in the gravity of joy, which helped me early on in the process, is after Derek died, I... I would almost feel guilty if I had a moment of levity or I laughed or something. Mm -hmm. But I remember reading something that I don't remember exactly how you, you said it, but it was like joy and sorrow hold hands and walk down the same path. Yeah. And I real, and you know, like I realized like it's okay. I can honor his life by, you know, finding joy, mm -hmm. even though I'm feeling sorrow, but recently I found joy. So it was kind of cool. One of the last times that I had seen Derek. We both had these Lego keychains on our, on our keys and these characters. And he's like, Hey man, he's like, we should switch out the legs. So I have his set of Lego oh, legs. He had mine. Oh, that is so sweet. Yeah. So anytime. Oh um, man, that got me. Yeah. yeah anytime I throw my keys on the desk. Yeah. I see it. Yeah. You're here. Yeah. yeah. Oh man. Okay. That is, oh man, that really got me. <laughs> But it's so can you tell us actually i'm going to make the last question today can you tell us what derek was like yeah i have sorry i'm just like i didn't realize it's gonna choke me up this much but that's one of the ways that i find it every day another one since his passing is i think it's really important to take pictures with your people mm -hmm. um, yeah because I, I think there can be a little bit of a stigma. Oh, all you care about is social media or why are you always on your phone? And I understand that. However, I've never once been, oh man, me and Derek had too many pictures together. Oh yeah. Right. Right. You know, I wish I had more. Um, mm -hmm. So just taking the time to do that. I've actually found a ton of joy in doing that. Just out at dinner or just in random times. Like, hey, let's get a picture together. I've actually, I've gotten so much joy out of that. I think the last oh. thing to do is I try to tell everybody now like that I love them. I think it can make some people uncomfortable. Um, but I, I get a lot of joy out of that too. I tell people I work with like, hey man, I love you. I'm grateful that you're here. I'm grateful I work with you. I've told, like, I'll tell players that and they're just like, what? But I, but you can tell that <laughs> anyone, anyone you say that to, they are always so moved by it. And I think it's just a very meaningful, joyful way to make that connection in life. Mm -hmm. um, so I'd say those are the three places where I've been finding a lot of joy recently. Well, and can you tell us something about Derek? What was he like? Yeah, he was a, he was the brightest light in a room. Like he was just so charismatic and smiling all the time. Yeah. He was, he was so good to my kids. 
he was he was so generous. He would buy gifts all the time for the kids, play with them all the time, wrestle with them, jump on the trampoline. He was just a light. Yeah, he was the light. He was the light for the party. The happiest person there. Wow. Always had the best ideas. This is the first time I've ever said it out loud, other than to like Natalia. But I'm gonna run an ultra marathon day. In his wow. there, because that's who he was. He's like, "Hey, man, let's let's run the Gobi <laughs> Desert." And it was said with so much energy. You're, you didn't have doubt. You're like, "Yeah, we can do this. That's not that yeah. hard." You know. <laughs> so he just got yeah. He got you. He got you to believe. He got you to be enthusiastic. He got you to be charismatic. He made oh. you feel like you were the most important person in the room. Yeah. Well, what a blessing to have known him. Yeah. Yeah. No. Absolutely. Yeah, Derek. We honor your life. And all that you mean to Scotty, to Natalia, to his three kids, and to everyone whose lives that you touched. May you rest in power. Scotty, thank yes. you so much for your, your reflections today on life, on grief, on movement, on meaning, for your openness about a lot of things that you've gone through in your life and for what you learned, you know, and the things that you shared about what you've learned along the way. We are wildly Wildly grateful that you've been with us today. Yes, we are. Well, I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. It meant a lot to me. As always, we also love to end our podcast with a blessing over everyone who is listening. Thank you for joining us today, family. We are grateful to you and for you. Until next time, let's try to stay open to joy. Because seemingly against all odds, no matter who you are, or what your circumstances are, joy can always, always find you. Don't forget to head over to our website, thegriefsisters.com. We have a free gift for you. It's a five-day grief meditation audio track that helps you manage anxiety. It includes a 10-page printable journal that walks you through each of the five days and provides a way to help you track each day. You can also find another audio version of the grief meditation track on episode three of season one of our podcast. We are also currently working on a series of resources and small group opportunities that will be tackling various phases of grief. These breakthrough resources will help you take steps to find the motivation you need to move through grief at your own pace but move forward nonetheless. So look for updates on our website for those launches soon. Also, please look for our Grief Sisters book club and support group on Facebook. And remember, it's a we don't care if you've read the book club. Join us anyway. All of the links will be available in the podcast descriptions. Thank you for joining us today, family. We are grateful to you and for you. Until next time, Let's try to stay open to joy, because seemingly, against all odds, no matter who you are or what your circumstances are, joy can always, always find you.